to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Good morning, and I'm glad you joined us this morning. Got some nice weather this week, nice Sunday. Be uh, nice, we're, we're um, going to be looking at um, Acts chapter 2. So uh, if you want to turn there, if you want to open up your device, or um, uh, we'll provide the slides on the screen also. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 in Acts chapter 2. And each week I want to kind of put out there just that reminder um, as we're, we, we started into the book of Acts. I want to keep this before us. And so we, we had a really great discussion at uh, our gospel community this last Wednesday night, um, just that idea of expectation uh, about God working around us. And it's, it's really, I think that we kind of get tuned out to that, but I want to continue to put that before us, just this expectation that God is working around us. Um, and, and and we don't know what that looks like. And, and the book of Acts is full of that. Like they did not expect this to happen, right? Like we would not have guessed this was going to happen this way. Even the significance of, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to empower and you're going to be my witnesses. They could have sat around and guessed 10 different ways of, I bet God's going to do this or I bet Jesus is going to do this. But the way that God does that is usually from out in left field or from a whole nother universe, right? So um, I just want to press you to think through and press you to think through, do I expect God to really be working around me? And what I mean working, like there may be some supernatural things that, that happen, that God uses some supernatural things, but am I even, what, what I mean by this, God working around us is mainly eternal work in the hearts of men and women around you. Eternal work in the hearts of men and women, where people who were de-churched or unchurched or just lost, or Christians who have just been a little bit cold, um, youth and kids who, who know the facts about Jesus, but if you're honest, I don't really love Jesus, and, and adults the same way. And so I want to keep those, these reminders before us. We've got the same God, the same Jesus, the same Spirit, the, the same gospel message that has power, the same mission is out there, and, and the same uh, opportunity for radical discipleship and following it's the same kingdom and the same movement. So um, that question that I, I put out there every week also is, was Jesus and his cross only meant to be just a, a token for your security? Or is this, 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 this story about this God-man and his cross, um, was it supposed to be something that's just radically changing and transforming and controlling your life? And as Americans, we don't realize how much the air we breathe is just entitlement and taking things for granted to where I can be a Christian and just tuck that in my back pocket. I ask Jesus into my heart, and now I'm pursuing life, and I'm trying to be moral, and I'm trying not to break the big bad rules, but Jesus isn't really directing my path, and I'm telling you, he wants to. He wants to guide and direct, and he wants that beyond lordship of just, well, I quit cussing and quit drinking and quit um, um, stealing. No, he, he wants everything in your life to be turned over to him, and so a beautiful opportunity. 
And so this section in Acts is one of the most controversial areas in topics in the, the Bible. Obviously, it's Pentecost, and even the fact that you, you could just say to churchy people like, hey, you know Pentecost, and they're like, oh, yeah, I know what happened at Pentecost. And so it freaks some people out. Some people like, you know, think that every, every day should be Pentecost, right? And so you have kind of extremes on that. And some of us who don't know what to do with Pentecost, we kind of just like stay away from it, and like, I mean, God forbid that ever happening again. And so... Um, but I want us to see this, um, that, that we, can, we can have some peace with that. And so one of the things that we're going to look at today is understanding what happened in chapter 2. And, and part of that is that tongues of fire is not the focus. And so if you've kind of grown up in a place, so I've been around both camps of those where they would never mention that. And then I've been in places where literally Jamie and I were in Florida one time. We were at this um, revival thing, and they literally, the guy brought out um, one of those little flamethrower things, the little flame devices, and they turned the lights down. And, and the, even when they just turned the lights down, the crowd of 1,000 people just started, ooh, ooh, and like, it, it just got, like, and I was like, nothing's even happening. Like, and just because he has a flamethrower and somebody hit the light switch does not mean that God has showed up. But people, you just felt it. And you know, I'm just looking around like, what's about to happen here? And, uh, it, and nothing happened. But, uh, but still, but that you can really hide people's expectation. And so if you feel uncomfortable with it, hopefully you'll walk away today going, man, this, I understand a beautiful picture of what happened there. And so it is supernatural. And, and, but what we're going to see here is tongues of fire is not Luke's main intent of chapter 2. So first of all, just the idea that his main intent is that, hey, Jesus just told you guys this 10 days ago. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit's going to come in power and that you're going to be his witnesses. And you could have never planned this, but you never thought it this way. But the Holy Spirit has now come. So Jesus' promise is true. And now the second part of that is the presence of God is here with you. So think through that. Jesus lifted off. You believe Jesus was the Son of God, God in the flesh. You really believe that. He left, so now you're on your own. But now this happens. God is with you. His presence is with us indwelling each believer. That's different. So first thing for the, the church, a new thing that God was doing. He didn't do that for Old Testament Israel. And so the presence of God is here now with us. His, his presence filled with the Spirit equals the gospel breaking into new territory. So you see from Acts chapter 2 right here, when the gospel breaks into, like crossing this line right here, when it breaks into a new threshold, what happened early in the church, if you go through the chapters of Acts, is Sometimes the Holy Spirit would come and fill people. Sometimes it would be tongues. Sometimes it would be other miraculous things. And that was to draw attention to what? Not just uh, incredible experience or like a healing. Like, and we're just supposed to walk away going, oh, healing. That was a really cool story. No, the message came after that. That was to authenticate what you're hearing is from God. You better pay attention. The message of salvation is what was the point. So when, when they would, the gospel would break into a new threshold, a new people group, a new area, um, when they would do this, then there were signs and wonders, and that drew people's attention. We should probably listen to this message, and, and here's the gospel message. And so that's what you see repeatedly through the book of Acts. And so what we, especially, we're in Tulsa. We're, we're the epicenter uh, of, no, no, what, what the book of Acts is about is cross, like just showing up and just, just you know, uh, levitating, just, you know, the power of God. And, and if, if everyone's not speaking in tongues or if there's not miracles, if there's not signs, if there's not wonder, wonders happening every single day, then something's wrong. You're out of the will of God. And, or take it to the further extreme of the prosperity gospel. If you have sickness, well, then you're out of the will of God. Um, the doctors say, hey, you got this little cancer spot on your face. Well, don't, don't call it a cancer. 
Don't, don't call it that. You're claiming that over your life. And that's, that's not what Scripture's saying there, that health, wealth, prosperity. No, it, it's about the gospel message, which is strictly about Christ and his cross. And every place that they go, that's what happens. So here we see in Acts 2, tongues isn't the point. It's the Holy Spirit coming about, and they start speaking this language that is language, many, many language from the perspective of the hearers. This isn't about the perspective of the disciples. This is from the perspective of lost people coming in with a Jewish understanding, old covenant, sacrifices, altars, not believing in Messiah, and someone stands up and says, all of that was fulfilled in Christ. Your salvation is in Christ alone. That's what happens in Acts 2. The message of the gospel goes forth to a whole bunch of people from all over the place, and they're going to take that back to their home places. And so, um, beautiful picture there. Um, we're going to see a pattern here developing also. So one pattern we're going to see is this idea of the church gathered. So you'll see what happens early on. Those early disciples were gathering, and then the, 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 the message of God would be preached. They were usually taking Old Testament passages and then telling how Jesus fulfilled that. And you guys know the story when Jesus did this and did this. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus taught us these things. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are writing these things down, all the, getting all these accounts. They're passing those letters around early on. Marx was one of the first ones. They're passing those around along with identifying, connecting that to the Old Testament, gathering the proclamation of the Word of God, and then spreading out into homes, into their neighborhoods, to their workplaces. So you see the church gathered, the people of God gathered, and then you see the people of God scattering. And God's going to do that repeatedly. So look at, uh, I have it on the screen there, Acts 1-6. So when they had come together, so here, here was this thing before he even, this is right before he ascends, they had come together, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, no, but, but here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit, and so notice he, he, there's this gathering, and he tells them, you're going to be scattered. The Holy Spirit's going to come in power for proclamation of the gospel, and you're going to spread out, you're going to scatter now, you go on to fast forward to chapter 7. Remember Stephen? If you guys know Acts 7, Stephen, just one of the good old boys that are really focused, spirit-filled, steps up and tells people, hey, you, you spiritual leaders, you elites, this Jesus that you crucified, that was the Son of God. That was the Messiah. And they start throwing rocks. And what happens from that? All the Jews and all the disciples go, oh, man, we better be careful. Let's scatter. So um, they started scattering from that point. It says that the word of God was going out, and, and those disciples, some of them stayed in Jerusalem, but then believers started scattering all over the place. So gathering and scattering. In um, verse, uh, verses 12 through 13 in Acts 1 there, it says, they returned to Jerusalem. So this is after the ascension, just a few verses later, after 1-8 was, was told by Jesus, to the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they all went up to the upper room and where they were staying. And so they've got this whole team of these disciples, and they're, they're gathered together. And that's where this Pentecost happens. And so then in Acts chapter 2, it picks up, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, gathered together in one place. Um, so you see this theme. And then if you go on to, to the end of chapter 2, um, you see this, the church is gathered and then going to be scattering. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. So there's this picture of getting together to hear from the Word of God. Now, huge factor. We're going to spend some time on this, a couple of weeks on this, um, starting next week, but then also the next week. Um, there is a just a huge um, uh, 
scary, low appreciation for gathering together to hear from God's Word. So the idea is, I, I, I think I know enough, and I think I'm trying to be good enough without having to be at church. And I, I, I mean, so I'm not, try, I, I'm not trying to make people doubt their salvation, but no other time in the history of the church ever in 1970 years um, did people have the option of, of, of gathering together. If, if, they, if you were gone for two or three weeks, it was church discipline. Um, I remember being, even at Grace Baptist uh, over in Tahlequah, I remember a couple of college guys coming and was like, hey man, I'm just so sorry. Uh, I was gone for two weeks. And I was like, you know, honestly, I was like, I didn't even know he was gone. You know, and, and but he was like, man, it's just a huge deal. And at our church, um, where I come from, if you were gone for like two weeks, they would come to your house. Like Sunday afternoon, two o'clock, there's a knock on the door. Like, hey, just wondering if there's some problems in marriage. If there's some pro-. So, and so that was not to judge you necessarily. That was just like, we're concerned about your soul. If you go back to the Puritans, they, every single day, they wanted you to think through, where is my heart at with Christ? So the preaching of the word, there's something spiritual and supernatural that happens with the Holy Spirit from that. That's not to say about the speaker. That's definitely not to say about the, the, the skill level or the ability. There is something about the calling. So for me, uh, I, 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 there's a thousand things I would probably have wanted to do, but then God has called me into this. So you either want to be faithful with that and do that faithfully or just, you know, or not do that or take off on that. And so there, there's something powerful and we do not appreciate in America. In fact, churches have done this. They did this about 30 years ago, 20 years ago. They started saying this, hey, church membership is not a real big deal. So hey, we're, we're not concerned about membership. You guys kind of just do what you want to do. We're just happy if you just come a couple of times. We're not, we're not heavy. We're not going to be asking you guys where you're at. So do you see what that is? Let's get comfortable. Let's get real casual with this. I mean, make sure you send your tithe, though. Make sure you send your, your check-in. But we're not really concerned. You know what, how sad that is from someone who, like, who sees this as a shepherding thing? What that says is, I don't really care what's going on in your life, your marriage, your kid's life. I don't care about your soul. I don't care if you're falling off the cliff and getting into all kinds of stuff. But make sure you send that check for, for the church's sake and for my sake. That, that is completely the opposite of what Jesus was about. And so and they gathered for the apostles' teaching in the fellowship. I'd love to see where we flipped it to where we do. We do value this time together. Even if it's like, man, this is long or this is whatever. But we're going to try to present here. We're not going to try to give just like little be the life points. We're going to say, this is God's word. And I know that it's not popular right now. I know it's not the, the thing that is trendy. Uh, but this is God's word, and we want to go deep into it. And we believe that's what changes the soul. So when you present that, the Holy Spirit comes and blows in power, just breathes on that and opens people's lives. And again, you don't know. There's been a guy sitting out there for six months who's just, just dead as a doornail. A woman sitting out there who's just going through the motions. And all of a sudden, some sentence that someone says, and the Holy Spirit just awakens things. That's what God does when you gather. And so um, they, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, um, to the breaking of bread. So right after church, back then, early on, um, tons and tons of, uh, there's, there's a handful of New Testament passages, but tons of historians said that the common practice of the way was when they left the teaching, they would all go and eat together, and they'd have this meal, they called it a love feast, all the way to the point that people outside, yeah, when we hear that, we're like, uh, that's, is there a Netflix series on that? That's kind of weird. So they call it this Netflix, and uh, you know, you go on vacation, and some people go, hey, come over here to this love feast. You'd be like, no, we're out. We're getting on a plane and leaving. And so the idea was that, that we would also, they would hear, outsiders would hear, they're eating Jesus' flesh 
and drinking his blood. Because remember Jesus said that? Here, take my flesh and eat it. And so that was being passed around. Like, that's not good when that's your sign. Like, when that's the, your website's first thing is like eating flesh, drinking blood. But that early on, that's what they were like. We heard over at, you know, um, John's house that they're eating some flesh and drinking blood. And they're having a love feast. And so that, that what they were doing was talking about the Lord's Supper. They would do a meal together, and then they would do communion. Because Jesus said, hey, do this in remembrance of me. Often do this, and you're focusing on the gospel. You're putting your hope in that. And so that's what they were doing there. And then they had the prayers. And so you see some beautiful things. We're going to cover a couple of weeks on that. Um, if you see the end of that there, uh, what, what if we flip things? If you look at this verse, what if, what if it was completely different than our culture? Look, um, look at verse 43. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. So again, this gathering, but we're together for one another, and we had all things in common, and we're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So if I if I happen to do really, really good this month and I had some extra stuff, and then I realized that, you know, Seth his dryer went out, I go, hey, why don't we give Seth our dryer and we'll just buy a new dryer because we really did good this week. Hey, I noticed that so-and-so had, had two flats and you know I've got like seven vehicles. I think I could buy him a set of tire. What, what, if, what if Christianity just culturally we flipped it um, like David Platt's book Radical talked about? What if we really thought through, what would that look like to think through the people around us? What are their needs? And then us work together to do that instead of me just stocking up and stocking up and stocking up more and more and more. Um, and, and if you've ever in that, been in that position to be able to give to somebody in need, it's, a, it's an incredible thing that nothing else feels like that. Take it from the physical aspect to an eternal thing to where now that person that you helped out or something, you see them go from completely dead, not even caring, interested in God, to now worshiping God and in love and going for all eternity. And how many lives is that going to impact? How many lives are they going to, is that person going to impact spiritually? Now you can just live life as your quiet, isolated Christian over here or get involved with the kingdom going, hey God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use my life? So we're going to continue to see that theme. Um, let me pray, and then let's read um, uh, First Corinthians. Or I'm sorry, second, uh, Acts chapter two. God, we thank you for um, the beauty of your word. We thank you for the depth of your word. But here we thank you for the action and the traction and the street level power of the Holy Spirit coming. And, and Father, we read this knowing that this didn't stop that we are part of that plan, that we're part of the traction of the gospel and the kingdom moving forward, that we are part of the kingdom of God. And oftentimes we probably don't feel like it in, in, in bouts of shame or guilt and things that we've fallen into. and We don't feel like we're ambassadors for the king. And so, um, God, I pray that you would bring comfort, uh, not a comfort in sin, but, but a comforting love from the Holy Spirit to encourage those hearts to turn and repent from sin. But for those who are walking, going, I want my life to count for the kingdom not for this world. Would you bring power for that, God? Would you allow us to see a different view of what life could be like? Would you allow us to truly believe and be convicted if we don't believe that you are acting and powerfully moving around us? Um, it's hard for us to see, but we pray that you would give us eyes to see. Um, we thank you for your word. We pray that the Spirit would guide us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's read 2, 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as of fire. Notice that as of fire. wasn't fire. It looked like fire. Appeared to them and rested on each one of them. That's significant for indwelling each believer. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And the word there in Greek is other languages, ethno-linguistic languages, different than the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 and Romans 12. So different than the gift of tongues. When he goes into the list that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, this is different. This is ethno-linguistic established languages. So they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit decided to give them utterance. wasn't manufactured. They didn't just decide to do it. As the Spirit decided to pour that out on them. And they were, I'm sorry, now they, there were dwelling, and then um, Luke goes into a little commentary now. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem at this time, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, this multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them hearing the disciples speak in his own language. Notice it's on the, the, the side of the hearers. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Now he gives a list of all these different places where these devout Jews were from. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're just filled with new wine. So um, some powerful stuff there. As we look at that, um, the um, first thing I want you to see is that um, this is going to be a turning point to where the gospel is made visible. And what I mean by that is that, God, that the gospel is made visible in the church. They didn't understand what this little pack was going to, going to do, this little pack of believers. What does that mean? Now Jesus has said, go and make disciples in Matthew 28, in Acts 1.8, and, and he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Well, no, you're not, because you ascended and you left us. Now, Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you in power. You're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the furthest parts of the earth. Well, hold it, you left. Well, now they understand the Holy Spirit's going to come. So when he says, all authority has been given to me, and, and I'm going to be with you to the end, this is what he meant. Don't you expect me to move on people's hearts? And so uh, this is a turning point. A mysterious uh, vehicle of God's redemptive plan is revealed, and it's the church. They didn't understand what that was going to look like. They definitely didn't have an understanding of, oh, we're gathering together, and the cross is the center of that, and we're doing the Lord's Supper, and we're having the preaching of the Word. That was different. So if you've ever seen or studied or looked at just the Jewish synagogue, the way that that was performed, completely different. They, they took things from that, and they, they modified it for what now become the movement in the gospel. And so that's the vehicle that God had decided, that the church age, a new era, taking the new covenant to all peoples, all languages. This is not just Jewish anymore. It's not just Jerusalem as a center. Now it's for all cities, all villages. It's for all peoples, Gentiles, and all nations and tribes. And so that was new. Also, there's a mysterious catalyst they didn't understand. So three or 4,000 years um, was not like this. And now upon this, the catalyst is, the power source is the Holy Spirit. 
on every believer. So the Holy Spirit convicting every single individual believer when they hear the word of God, when the gospel goes forth. Um, so Romans 1.16, it's the power of the gospel. Only the gospel is what brings salvation. Um, so now the church, the body of Christ, is where the gospel is made visible. We're living by, it's our message to people, but it's also the way we live. I can't just go out and try to tell people, you need to come to church, you need to be good, you need to get saved, and I'm a jerk to you. No, the gospel is conforming me to Christ's image. The gospel, continually thinking through that, is transformative power. And so um, that's the beauty of that. In, in Acts chapter 1, we saw Jesus saying this, wait for the Holy Spirit, right? Wait, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. So you see Jesus saying, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Didn't know what that meant at that point, right? Had no idea. In fact, I mean, what, if, if you're part of that group and you're just sitting there and that happens and you start talking this language and you, you didn't even want to, like it, it was a little bit of a forced thing, you're probably thinking, I guess that's what's going to start happening. Like, I, I guess tomorrow morning, are we going to get up and just go to work and, and, and like, I'm going to start talking some foreign tongue? Or next week as we gather, is it going to happen again? So they didn't know. Now, that wasn't what was going to happen. But again, they didn't know how God was going to work powerfully. And so also in chapter 1, Jesus ascends up to heaven. He was our power source. We followed him. We trusted him. We, we got to talk to him. He was leading us, and he's gone. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends. So Jesus ascends. The Holy Spirit descends. Um, in chapter 1, they were entrusted with this message. In chapter 2, they're empowered, and they're the, the vehicle that gets the message going. So some crazy things that happen there. Um, and, and in verses 1 through 4 there, um, Pentecost, you gotta, you got to know just their, uh, a little bit of their story. There was three main events that people would literally do a, uh, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So if you lived, you know, seven days walk, seven days of walking, four days walk, a long, long journey. Once a year, you would go up to Jerusalem and you would, you would go for Passover and you would go for um, Pentecost. And so Passover, if you go, let's go back to Old Testament. What was the Passover story? What was the Passover? Remember Israel and Egypt, right? And Israel's inside Egypt. Hey, Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no way. We're getting a lot of uh, slave labor out. This. this is a lot of free labor. We're going to take advantage of you people. Ten plagues happened. What was the last one? Take and, and take the Passover and take the blood of a lamb and paint it over the doorway. Paint this blood, and, and there's going to be a, an angel of the Lord, maybe Jesus, that comes, and um, he's going to kill the, the, any children under, under two years old there, that firstborn child. And so that, that's like a scary picture there, not the, not the firstborn. But they wake up the next morning, and sure enough, all of the Egyptians' babies were dead. So screaming, people running out in the streets. A crazy, crazy scene, right? Everyone who's who inside that doorway, that if blood was up there, that was a picture of Jesus. Is God passing over? God passing over, bringing forgiveness and bringing um, safety and security in that. And so that was what the Passover feast was for every year. And so now Jesus. At the cross, what was he? What was they gathered together in Jerusalem for? The Passover. They learned that was a picture of Jesus on the cross. Now, so that doorway with blood was now Jesus on the cross. That Old Testament picture of Passover that we celebrate—it's all in Jesus on the cross. Now, the doorway with the blood over it is all Jesus. The the sacrificed lamb, the blood—that was Jesus. 
So they gather, you take your family, you go up and you do Passover, and then about um, 50 days later is Pentecost. So they would stay, and some people would stay and celebrate up there for the whole 50 days. So this is, um, it says, um, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So this is, think through, Jesus rose from the grave and was on the earth for 40 days. And then he ascends in Acts chapter 1, and they've been waiting 10 days. And so now it's, it's the day of Pentecost, and this hits. They didn't know what was going to happen. They're gathered together in one place. Again, this beautiful picture. And, and this, this sound comes. Notice this. There, there's a sound, and, and it says, like, like a mighty rushing wind. So there's something that they hear, everyone hears, this wind. But then there's also something that they see, and we'll see that in a second. But um, the, um, when, when it happened, it suddenly occurred, it says it's from heaven. So just know this wasn't something manufactured or strategized. This was directly God doing something new around them. It, this wasn't a manufactured thing. Um, when you hear of wind or fire in the Old Testament, it was always symbolic of the presence of God. So you hear this wind, and then you see, you see fire. You hear wind, you see fire, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. So that was always symbolic of, um, of God's presence. Um, and, and it divided as of fire appeared to them and it rested on each one of them. Again, that's the idea. Each one indwelling of the individual, the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling. Now, the thing that we have to ask here is, is this prescriptive or descriptive? And what I mean by that is God prescribing, hey, everyone that reads this story from this point on, this will be your experience. I'm prescribing to you, this will be your experience. You gather together, and you're going to have this crazy <laughs> rushing wind, and then people are going to start speaking, and, and, and all of us from here in Tulsa, you're speaking languages that you don't understand. Is that, is that prescribed to us? That's what's supposed to happen? This thing of tongues. Now, people that really misread this and get excited about tongues and they confuse this with chapter 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians and think this is the gift of tongues, they prescribe this and say, this is what should happen every single Sunday. So if you've been around those churches, and Jamie and I have been around the church, where every Sunday they'll have a section where a section of the service where everyone's supposed to start um, uh, um, doing their practicing their tongues. They will even teach you. So I was at churches where they, they would teach you, you had to get faster at this. You'd go, tie my bow tie. Untie my bow tie. Everyone, tie my bow tie. Untie my bow tie. Tie my bow tie. Untie my bow tie. Tie my bow tie. Untie my bow tie. So I'm not mocking. I'm not making fun. That was what. So we would literally practice, and that was you were taught. If we do that, if we do that, people, God will see that we really want Him, and He'll come down like He did in Acts two. That wasn't the case. They're sitting there, just they're they're gathered. They're around the Word of God, and this hit. This was not prescribing. This was not saying this is how it will always be and it should always go like this. This was him taking a historical narrative and going, I'm just going to tell you what happened. Historically, this was describing what God did, not prescribing. That may help you in your individual Bible study when you're reading certain things. If you take a look at something and you're like, oh man, you know, we, we've got, we're in this rough scenario, we're in this situation, man, it really helped with this. And you read something like, oh, is God prescribing that to me? Or is he just describing what happened historically there? And so you're trying to take that and just apply it. And so um, think through prescriptive versus descriptive. As we go through the book of Acts, I'll try to hit on that, to reminding us. But this was clearly descriptive. Luke was saying, this is what happened, not this is what will happen every single time. And again, this is separate from the gift of tongues talked about um, in, the, in the spiritual gifts that are given in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and described there, and then also in Romans 12. So... 
It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, this is important because we, you may have been around this. This is popular in Tulsa, and we're the epicenter of this idea where an evidence of you being saved, an evidence of you being a Christian is that you have to speak in tongues. So you'll, there's a lot of churches around Tulsa that will say, if you're not speaking in tongues, then you're not a Christian. And that, that's hard when you go into those situations. I've told you all about the cases where me and Jamie and Glenn, a couple of my friends when I was working at UPS, invited us to their um, churches. And so we go, and it was like this big revival. And so we're sitting up there, and there's you know two or 300 people. And sure enough, it, it, their services, this is the time. And so the, you know, the guy's like, I just feel the Lord about to do something. I just feel the presence of the Lord. And people just, you can just feel like your expectations built up. And I appreciate the expectation. But then he literally just called everyone. So ah, we got a healing line over here. And people who, if you've never spoken in tongues, God wants you to speak in tongues. He quotes Acts 2. God wants you to speak in tongues. You must speak in tongues if you're truly a believer. Because this is what we see. So he was prescribing, this is what's true for a believer. I want everyone, if you've never spoken in tongues, to come down. And I'm, I'm just like... Man, I'm, I'm just not going down there, you know. And so I'm sitting up there, and so literally every seat clears out. Me, Jamie, and Glenn, I'm not lying. If 250, 300 people are there, it's three of us sitting. Remember, I've got long hair touching my collar and stuff. Who do you think that guy is? He's, you know, sweating and looking up there, and he's looking at this long-haired guy over there. And he, he was just like, I just feel like there's still some people out there. You know, and you're looking around like we're the only ones still sitting in our seats. And there's healing lines. People have got the drop cloths. They're, they're doing the, the bulldog thing where you know, they're running and hitting people in the forehead. They're dropping down. And so he's like, I just feel like there's somebody out there that just needs a, a you, you up there. You know, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, he's literally going to do this like where you just can't go. So we go down there. And so I get this guy and he's pretty hyper. He's pretty hyped up. He's like, and he gets close to me and starts quoting some stuff from David. And like, David, dance like, yeah, God wants you to dance like David dance. God wants you to speak in tongues like Paul. So God wants you to, and so he's like, I'm going to lay my hand. So, and I was just like, man, you know, if, if he wants to do this, you know. Um, and so then I was going, if, if, man, God wants to do whatever, man, I'll, if he wants to levitate me, if he wants to knock me flat, but I'm not going to just lay down and, and fake something for this guy. So I stand there. And you talk about feeling like a loser. You talk about feeling like all these eyes. And of course, these people are clapping and, ooh, doing all this stuff. And, you know, Hercules, Hercules. And, and, and I'm just sitting there and, and and so I'm like, okay, you know, like you talk about an embarrassing moment and he's laying his hands on me and he's pressing and pressing and he's still quoting. And he, now he's saying like, you, it's pride. I'm rebuking the pride and the spirit, this devil spirit. I'm like, okay, now I got devil spirits. And I was like, man, if you had known me a few weeks ago, you'd have been, uh, you know, uh, it'd been really bad. And so he's doing all this stuff and like, it just didn't happen, you know? And so, uh, you know, I, I, and I was open. I was like, hey, God amazed me. But, and I wasn't refusing, like I refuse to do this, but just know that that's, that's a lot of places. If you're if you're not able to do that, you're not a believer. You're, you're not. And interesting, he didn't even care afterwards. He wasn't like, man, I really believe that you're not a believer, and I'm concerned. We need to talk. He was just like, wow, that's ridiculous. You know, and just like kind of like I was the satanic one. And so um, all of those things happen in churches here. And so you kids can know you may go to something like that. Parents think through that as you send your kids off to um, uh, other places. Just know there can be some extreme things. Just kind of prepare them for that. Um, so. The beautiful thing here is, is what, what, Peter, what, what Luke is wanting to get across here is they were filled with the Holy Spirit and just began to speak in other tongues. These are languages, and it was the Holy Spirit who gave them utterance. They didn't decide to do this. This was not the gift of tongues. And the point here is 
This is coming true, what Jesus told us. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come on power, and it's for the power is not just a, a feeling on your behalf. It's for the communication. The power is about when, when the gospel's proclaimed, I'm going to change hearts. I'm going to transform hearts. I'm going to remove people's spiritual blindness. And so the presence of God is there. Jesus had inaugurated his kingdom because he was the king and he was present. Now the Spirit inaugurates the church age. So Jesus lands on the earth. John the Baptist say, the kingdom is here. Uh, it's me. And people didn't like that, right? And then Jesus dies, ascends to heaven. The Spirit comes and says, the church age is here, and you're the vehicle taking the gospel. So the Spirit inaugurates the church age there with his presence. So this is a new thing. Um, so when we think about that, um, I want you to just know some of those things about um, tongues. Let's go into Luke's commentary there about this, starting in verse 5. And so he, he kind of takes a side note there, and, and basically in, in, in verse 5, what he does is, so this, this crazy scene just happened, but let me tell you the context, Luke is saying. Let me tell you actually what was going on here. And this plays into um, the main intent, because these is for, this is from the hearer's point of view. He goes, let, let me explain what this looked like. Let me give you a picture. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men and women from every nation under heaven. So he was saying there were people in Jerusalem, what, what did we just talk about, them making this trip up to um, Jerusalem for um, the Passover and then also for Pentecost, right? They didn't know this was going to happen. They're from all over the place. So if you go back in the Old Testament, um, we, we went through the book of Nehemiah, we went through um, the different old, some of the Old Testament prophet books. Well, remember when Jerusalem, or when the Jews, as, as God's discipline on them, he would use a powerful nation to come and invade Jerusalem, tear down the walls, and take the people off to all those different places, all different cities, all different regions, right? So you had uh, the, the different um, kingdoms that had ruled, and now the Romans are in control. Well, as they were taken off, they would still be allowed to come back and, and sometimes go back to Jerusalem after the city was rebuilt. And so when it says devout men from every nation, it doesn't mean they were devout believers. That doesn't mean they were these were believers. These were people that kind of, maybe some very committed or some not so committed to Judaism. But they were um, from the tribe of Israel from many places. And so, and upon hearing the sound, the multitude came together. This is the, the, the visitors. So you've got home team, and you've got visitors. Then you've got the people who live there in Jerusalem, and then you've got out-of-towners. And they're, they're from Jewish descent also. And, and so Pete and Luke is saying, I want to show you how many places this come from and what this looked like, all these visitors, these out-of-towners. And say, um, they said they were bewildered because each one was hearing the disciples speak in his own language. So first, they heard the wind. Outsiders, so the disciples are all like, oh, what, what is that? They start speaking in these languages. Now, they didn't decide to do tamabotan, tamabotan, tamabotan. They're speaking something. It's not gibberish. It's not a prayer language. It's a legitimate language from other countries. They didn't even know that that was it. These outsiders hear the same wind. It says, when they heard that, when they heard the sound, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, are, are not these just these Galilean hicks? So Galilee was considered like Salisol. I know all you guys look at me, and you're like, it's Salisol. So I know what y'all think. I hear it. I can feel it. Jamie does it. My kids do it. And so this was Salisol, people. And so these were like Galilean um, hicks. And they're looking at that, and they're going, there's no way they were educated. They could not know our languages. So how are they speaking our language, and what are they saying? 
That's the point that, that Luke's trying to bring out. Uh, are, are these not Galileans? And how is it that we are hearing each one of us in our own native language? Um, so just a beautiful, beautiful picture there. So the emphasis Luke wants to get across is the message that is received by the hearers, not the experience of the disciples there. Now, that's a good experience, but it was about getting the gospel to lost people. The disciples were just the vehicle for that. That's how we need to look at our lives. Um, so his, his um, point is, this: these were intelligible languages that were established in these different places. Um, now, one of the side notes to this, as this begins to happen, they didn't realize this at the time, but if you, this is reversing what had happened at the Tower of Babel. So if you guys remember um, the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, uh, maybe Genesis 11. So remember, after the flood and Noah and his group are the only ones who survived, remember? And so they're the ones there. And so then and as the people began to multiply right after that, um, the people said, hey, let's look at what had just happened there. There was judgment. God came in judgment, flooded the earth, everyone died. How can we keep that from happening? So um, this is uh, Genesis 11, 1 through 4. Now, the whole earth had one language. So everyone was talking English, right? So the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. The key word that Moses wanted you to hear is settled there, because this is direct disobedience. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they, they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower this tall tower with its top in the heavens. So let's build this tower. Why, why would that be helpful? Because we don't want judgment from God to happen. We're going to build a tower to the heavens. We're going to build our way to God, and God's judgment can't come like it did before. And make a name for ourselves. And God was saying, I want you to make my name famous. I want you to make it about my glory. And they were saying, we're going to make it about our glory. Remove any chance of judgment. And so what does God do? Uh, he says, come let us build this, and, and lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This was direct disobedience from God's command. So if you guys know the cultural mandate that God had given to Adam and Eve first, go, multiply, fill the earth. Multiply and fill the earth. And then to the next group of, uh, of people that were born, go and multiply and fill the earth. Two or three times that's, that's told, go and fill the earth. Multiply, fill the earth. Have dominion over. That's called the cultural mandate. In Genesis 1, 28, Genesis 9, even Noah and his group that gets off the boat, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And they said, no, we're not going to fill the earth. We're going to stay in one place. We're going to build our way, work our way to the heavens, and we're going to take control where God can't bring judgment. And God goes, that's not what's going to happen. So in God's response is this diversity and scattering. And so in Genesis 11, all the way back then, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower where the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they'll do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible to them. So come, let us go down from here and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the whole face of the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, the name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. So that's a setup for Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9. People from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language brought back together in their diversity, in their different languages, worshiping God. So Babel was where he scattered and caused diversity. 
Um, Acts 2 is where he brings them together and goes, I can get the gospel to people from all of these different places. Um, Babylon, people trying, where they were, trying, where they were making, trying to make their way up to God, here at Pentecost, God sends the Spirit down to mankind. So Babel, let's work our way up to God, and, and we can control judgment. You see um, Pentecost where the Spirit comes down and says, God's coming down to you to provide the salvation that you're fearful about judgment on. And so just some beautiful things there. Um, and then all of these tribes and clans are there. And, and what's going to happen after they hear this message, what are they going to then do? They're going to go back home. They're going to pack up their stuff, and they're going to go back. So Luke, remember, is giving us commentary. Let me tell you where all these people were from. So he goes into the story. Look in verse 9 there. Parthians, Medes, Elamites. You know where those are? We don't, do we? We don't even know what that looks like. Where is that at? Um, Mesopotam- residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of, uh, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and some from Rome, both, both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes just means that they were not, some, there were some Gentiles that said, hey, we want to get in on this Judaism thing. We want to be close to your God. So a proselyte of Judaism means that they're going through the system of Judaism. All these things. So look at, the, I've got some slides here, what this looked like. So here's what the world looked like first when it just started. So see the little dot there? So you can see Jerusalem. It's darkness everywhere. No one knows about the cross. No one knows about God's salvation plan to one person. Now, the, the next slide shows, here's what those places we just heard about. Oh, this is, this is, this is what Luke was telling us. Parthians, Medes, the Elamites. So these slides are showing us, this is where those places were. Mesopotamia. Remember where Jer- Jerusalem's at? And now these people are going to hear this message. And then Peter, in the rest of chapter 2, what we're going to cover next week, Peter stands up and starts making some clarification. Peter stands up and says there, Peter standing with the 11, this is back to Acts chapter 2 there, Peter standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all those who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And so he's going to address this crowd. And they, they already, remember they were devout Jews, they knew the Old Testament system, they knew the Old Covenant, and now he's making the connection this was Jesus. Jesus was what all that was pointing to. And, and they, so God purposely, all those years, had them coming to Jerusalem, and they had no idea. And this lucky generation are the ones that are, that are coming. And now Peter stands up and clarifies, oh, all that Jewish system, that's not going to save you. It's not the, the, bloods, uh, the blood of the bulls and goats. It, it's, it's Jesus. And you heard about this crazy scenario. So now if we go to the next slide, then you see these other areas. So these areas that we don't know about, like where is this at? And you can see a little bit of Jerusalem there. And so then as this goes on, think through this. 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years, no prophet speaking, God not speaking to his people, and then Jesus was born, right? We celebrate that at Christmas. We get into Advent. We talk about God had been silent for 400 years. People are terrified. Why has God turned so far against us? Jesus' Advent comes. No one understood God's plan. So this is crazy amazing when you see the 33 years, and then you see Jesus' life and death and resurrection, a dead world, um, sin controlling everything, light is going into darkness. God's rescue plan being revealed here. Um, and then think how far off. The English language is still 600 years before it's even starting. This is 600 years before English started. So we're way off in Salisaw, right? We're way off in Tulsa. And so next slide. Look as this starts going out there. 
um, the gospel spreading to those people that we just mentioned there, the Medes, the Parth- Parthians, uh, the Mesopotamia area, the Elamites, the Arabs. The next slide shows, as this keeps going forward, um, all those areas there that these people are going home. They're trekking home, and they've got knowledge now of the gospel. Now, this is not Paul's missionary journeys. This is just Acts 2. All these people who go there and go, he's talking in our language from Crete. He's talking in our language from Asia, from Phrygia, from Cappadocia. They're, they're talking about the works of God in our language. They go home, and that's a seedbed that's planted for when Paul comes through and preaches the gospel later on. Because now Peter's going to go into it. So the next slide shows the same thing as, as they're going. Now remember, Rome is the big dog, right? That, that's the New York City of the time. That's the London of the world. And so let's look at these next slides here. So let's go here. The very beginning, all the way back to see God's rescue plan. So you see the slide and think through this. This is Genesis 3. God's plan. You want to see power. You want to see sovereignty. All the way back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve have just eaten the fruit, and God's giving the declarations, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to Satan, and between your offspring, Satan, your your demonic, and her offspring. But she's going to have this lineage. Eve is going to have these children, this lineage, and there's going to be one that's going to come. He is going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel, the cross, He's going to die, but he's ultimately going to crush your head. All the way back at Genesis 3, and Acts 2 is beginning to show us this is God's redemptive plan. This is the, the, the rescue mission. The next slide, uh, Genesis 12. Remember Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. Go, Abraham, from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. Actually, he was way, he was down here by, um, over by the, the tip down there by uh, Saudi Arabia in that Mesopotamian area. He, he came from all the way down there to the promised land. And so um, he told him, go to the land I'll show you. I'll bless those who bless you. And um, who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so early on, they thought, Israel, we're, we're the people of Abraham's offspring, right? Well, then we learned that, oh, just because you were of Abraham's, Abraham's offspring didn't mean that you were naturally saved. It's going to the spiritual um, inheritance, the spiritual offspring of Abraham. And so that's what Acts 2 is revealing. In, in the next slide, John, John 1, true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, the creator, yet the world didn't even know him. He came to his own people, the Jews, and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who would receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So here we are all the way across the world, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In in Ephesians 2, you see this movement from dead, dry bones to the Spirit breathing life into dead souls. The salvation message going forward. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What are some good works? Continuing to do what we see in the book of Acts. Continuing to do that. Continuing the outreach that they did. And he says, you're going to be my witness. These are things that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The same thing is, is see in Romans, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, the same thing in Acts chapter 4, we're going to see, they say that um, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we will be saved. And then, of course, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. 
And then Acts 1.8, we see the fulfillment of that. The Holy Spirit's going to come in power, and you're going to be my witness. And so when we see that, we can just take that for granted and not realize we were not even a nation. We weren't close to a nation at that time. And then the, the ending thing is for us to think through our response. Remember the crowd that was there. They saw all this happen. They saw God's works. They saw manifestations of that. They saw, they heard the story. They, they knew these things, and there was two responses. The first is they were curious and drawn in. Now, what does this mean? And the second is mocking and rejection. Now, oh, they're just drunk with wine. So be aware of our tendency. The more you are acquainted with the story, the more that we're in the Bible Belt and you've known the story about Jesus, you don't appreciate it as much. And you just begin to live your life like you want to live it, not thinking how separated you are from God. And so our walkaways, thinking through that, um, three things there. Do we have a better understanding of Acts chapter 2 and tongues now? It's language proclaiming the message. As Brad comes up, do we have a better understanding of Acts chapter 2 and tongues? And then also, number two is, do we see Luke's intent and purpose was to show Jesus' promise is happening? Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 8 there. Do we see the Holy Spirit is present with us and powerful for the message spreading? And then the third one is that, that start of the pattern. God using that idea of gathering, then the proclamation of the word going forward, forward and then scattering. So um, some beautiful things. Um, and again, we could ask that question, was Jesus and his cross just for, for those people, just, just a token of security? What if they lived it that way? I'm not concerned about taking this home. I'm not concerned about proclaiming this. Up. I'm just going to keep this to myself. And so you see how the Holy Spirit uses powerfully. Um, he radically wants to change and confront some of the things that are controlling and ruling our lives. And so that's what he wants us to see in chapter 2. Um, let me pray as Brad comes up. Father, we see the beauty of your powerful will. There's nothing that can thwart your salvation going forward. We see the beauty all the way from Genesis 3 where they sinned and yet you pursued. And then we see that you gave a prediction that there was going to be one come from Eve's offspring that was going to be the one who would crush the head of Satan. All the way to the beautiful New Testament passages showing us clearly that Christ was the one that would come and take our place and take on your sin, take on our sin, and take on your wrath. So we're amazed that that message has come to us. God, I pray for those who truly this message has become cold and stale. I pray for those who truly, they're not concerned about the people around their lives that are, that are lost. I pray for those who are cold to that, indifferent to that. I pray that they would just have an awakening in their spirit. They would be aware of those things. What are we living for if we're not living for you? I pray that you'd bring some clarity to where our hearts are with you. We thank you for your spirit. Thank you for this beautiful picture of what you're doing. Would you reawaken in us an idea of God working around us? Would you show us a powerful um, outworking of that in our own lives, in this area? We pray for light to go into darkness. We know there's many unchurched and many that are lost, and we know there are many that have left the church, and we pray, God, that you would use our lives powerfully through the Spirit to give yourself glory. In your name we pray, amen.